ESPN. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Hill. It's time for Football at Four with 97.3 ESPN.com's Andrew DeCecco. Powered by InsideTheBirds.com. He's in. Touchdown. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. Here we go, a little football at four. Andrew DeCecco, powered by Inside the Birds, is with us here on a Sports Bash Friday. Happy Hour Fridays, everybody. I can't wait to get to this weekend. I got a full fridge ready to go. The weather's nice. Let's do this. Football at four, brought to you by East Coast Roofing Siding Windows, serving all of South Jersey. You call, they'll show up. Visit them online, eastcoastroofing.com. Now, yesterday, Adam Kaplan from insidethebirds.com. Andrew DeCecco today. Jeff Mosher will be on Mondays as we have the InsideTheBirds.com football at four here on the Sports Bash. Andrew DeCecco joins us now to talk a little NFL, a little football to get us ready for a happy hour Friday. Andrew, welcome back, bud. What's going on? Hey, what's going on, fellas? Good to be with you. Yeah, man. Uh, we got a lot of interesting stuff to dive into today based on what Adam said yesterday during this segment, and uh, we want to get some of your thoughts on this as well. I want to go, I know we talked a little bit about this earlier in the week, but uh, some of the stuff that he had to say uh, about, uh, let's start with Jason Peters and that whole thing. You know, he had said he asked somebody in the organization, you know, hey, let you know, be be straight with me here. Who will be the starting left tackle? And he said the guy didn't really, the source uh, didn't have an answer to that. But um, he felt pretty strongly that if they have interest in Peters, it means that they don't really believe in Andre Dillard. And I want to try to get your opinion on, do you feel that that's the case, that they just simply don't trust Andre Dillard at this point? Not whether or not you think he can play or that he can turn into a good left tackle. Do you think that the Eagles simply don't trust Andre Dillard right now? And what you know does that message mean that they think they're a Super Bowl contender and that bringing in a veteran like Peters gets them closer to that? Well, I can certainly tell you that they do, but I'm always, I've always been more of a, what what are you showing me? And you know, if his if Jason Peters' name is starting to swirl around around this time, that like Adam was saying yesterday, his name doesn't get mentioned if they have any any semblance of confidence in uh, in Andre Deward. And right now, he could be he could be ready, Andre Deward. But there's no there hasn't been any off season you know uh, activity, so there's really no way of knowing. So Jason Peters at this point at 39, uh, he had said that he thinks he can play into his 40s. Um, do you think that any chance that the Eagles would bring him back on a multi-year deal and hold back Dillard for a multiple years? Like, as it comes down to, I'll only play if it's mul- – like, they might want Jason back for one more year, but do you see him coming back on a multi-year deal? Not a multi-year deal. It's really hard to kind of commit to an extra two years uh, of Jason Peters when you just – you traded up for to get Dillard. So I think that kind of like what I was talking about earlier in the week is – I've always been a proponent and let your young players play. You know, you, you trusted your, your draft team and to, to make this pick and Andre Dillard, you invested cap, draft cap, significant draft capital in bringing him in. I think you really need to move forward with him. And, you know, if, if you do bring in Jason Peters, obviously he said that he's only coming on board with, uh, with the intention of starting. Um, I think that you, know, you, you can only commit to one year for him. I'm very interested to hear about your thoughts on Andre Dillard. Do you think the right tackle game last year factors into the equation when they think about the 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 future of Andre Dillard? 
Uh, I think so. But, you know, like we were saying, when he played on the left side, he showed signs of, you know, some like a developmental, he showed signs of making uh, strides as a rookie. Uh, he struggled on the right side, but there's a lot to, there's a lot to like from Andre Dewar from what you saw. Um, he, he didn't have that much opportunity to play. Um, but you know, I, I think that obviously like, like Adam was saying, and like I've been saying is he needed to get stronger. He needed to get bigger. He needed to get more physical. Um, he did get into a fight in training camp. I, you know, that's something that you like to see, but he needed, he needed to add some size, get stronger and able to kind of hold that left side down, uh, moving forward. So here's the one, you know, when you look at it right now, you've got that left tackle spot right now. It's Dillard because Peters is not signed. Isaac Samal, Jason Kelsey, who did come out and said, it's hard to imagine playing without Jason Peters. He said that just yesterday with the irony in all this is that he comes out and says that yesterday when Peter's name is kind of firmly in the mix. Then, of course, you have Brandon Brooks and Lane Johnson. So that offensive line right there, are they better with Andre Dillard playing left tackle or are they better with Jason Peters playing left tackle? Because the rest of the unit is the same as it's been for essentially the last two seasons. Mm-hmm. Well, right now, given what we have to go off of with, uh, with the no off-season activities, um, all we all we really have to go off of is Jason Peters playing at a fairly high level. You know, at thirty-eight, at thirty-seven years old, um, he's he's the future Hall of Famer. Anytime you have a guy that has, you know, that's going to be a Hall of Famer, you're a better team. And really, when you look at the offensive line. There's not a whole lot of experience in the reserves right there. You have Matt Pryor, who is their senior, their elder statesman, um, who only played two games. All so right. I think that when you when you really need to add a man. Uh, Andrew, I want to get into uh, some of the stuff that Doug Peterson said here recently. He said, I think what we've done as a staff in the offseason with our uh, scheme evaluation, making things better, the staff hires that I've done to bring in new thoughts, new ideas, and ways to enhance our offense. I think the offense is going to be a little bit different. So how do you take those comments? Is that him saying, well, we have a heck of a lot more weapons, we have more speed, we have different gadgets? So does does he say that, that the offense is going to be a bit different because of the weapons or what they're going to do in terms of play calling? I would say more so in terms of play calling and philosophy. I, in, in, a, in my opinion, I feel like they're going to try and have a similar offense to what the San Francisco 49ers have, that fast uh, spread you out the uh, offense that can, they really can spread the ball out to a number of players and really add that vertical element in there. Um, I, I really think that, you know, and, and that's really the way that the, that offenses are trending right now. The Eagles kind of had, they were limited in what they could do last season because of the, the lack of speed that they had. They're, they were very speed deficient. So their, their offenses was kind of, were kind of laboring and, and very much dependent on sustaining these 10 play drives that, you know, isn't really, that's not a recipe for success. Andrew DeCheck is with us. Of course, uh, you can read his stuff at 973ESPN.com. It's football at four, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. And, Andrew, you mentioned the 49ers there. They don't have that star player. Uh, well, I mean, I guess the tight end, obviously, similar to the Eagles, is their star player. But the Eagles receivers, you would think, with Deshaun Jackson being healthy, gives them a little bit of a something that um, I don't want to say they don't have because they do have a lot of speed. It's just that they don't have that a that marquee a number one wide receiver. So, do we think that with Carson Wentz and the weapons here that the Eagles' offense could be? I don't want to say an elite offense, but you know, basically a much much better version than the one we saw last year. No question. You know, obviously it's very dependent on on their health and 
and that's always been the the big the big hampering on the offense um, in recent years. But I, I think that that off, the Eagles' offense has a chance to really become an elite offense under Carson Wentz and Miles Sanders. I think he's going to be a breakout player. Could have up to fifty catches next season. He's really ready to shoulder the load there. And, you know, who knows? They, they probably will add a veteran running back to the mix there to get those tough yards. You have Boston Scott. Like you said, you have Deshaun coming back healthy, and you added some intriguing young weapons in the draft. And you have two of the, two of the best tight ends in the game right there in, uh, in Zach Ertz. And certainly uh, Dallas Goddard, I think, is going to be take that next step forward here in 2020. You mentioned the weapons that they added in the draft, and Jalen Rager is one of them. And the most interesting thing that I see every time he's brought up is the amount of yards Vegas has set for him for the over-under. And I value that because Vegas is normally in the ballpark for a reason, and the number is 800 and a half yards. How do you think mm. the offense will utilize him to get him to about that range? Well, 800, 800 yards is, is a lofty goal, I would say. It's especially coming off of a shortened off season, like we were saying. It, it takes it takes time, especially at the wide receiver position, to kind of you know they're typically behind the curve, um, and as far as getting up to speed with the playbook and having to you know get on get on board with what what the offense is doing. I think that they're going to find ways to get him the ball on, on jet sweeps. They're going to find a way to get him the ball on screens. They're going to get, they're going to send him deep. They'll find a bunch of, that you can use him a myriad of ways. So I think that, um, they'll find creative ways to get him the football. I would temper, I would say more so around the, uh, the five, the 600 yard, uh, mark would be more realistic in my opinion. So let me ask you, uh, uh, Andrew, um, which of the other guys, uh, Hightower, Quez, Watkins, mm-hmm. uh, or other, which of the lesser-known guys maybe excites you the most that people don't think are going to add much to this offense but you think might actually bring something to the table? John Hightower for me. I had a chance to watch John at the East-West Shrine Bowl. Started off the, the, the early in the week he had, I believe it was three drops in the first practice. He was a guy who went in there really excited to see, and I was like, oh, man, you know, he's not off to a great start. But he really rebounded as the week went on. He, could, he separated from every corner that was there. He tracks. He tracked the ball well, which is something I didn't necessarily see from him on film. He, he tracked the ball a lot better than I than I saw, um, and and he, he he runs really good routes. He, he always played uh, two years at Boise State. Um, he spent his first two years at junior college, Heinz Community College, and um, so and he was remarkably productive there. But um, in, in Boise State, the senior, he ended his senior season, I believe, with eighteen and a half yards uh, yards per catch. And he's also a uh, we talked about special teams earlier in the week and. He's a guy that, that made an impact as a kick return on special teams, so I certainly think he can be a factor there. Keeping it with the wide receivers, Alshon Jeffrey obviously will not start the season with the team. What happens if J.J. Ortega-Whiteside finally takes that step in his career where he's having a decent season and then Alshon Jeffrey returns? How do you think the Eagles will now utilize him? Well, to, to your first point, I actually do think that J.J. Arcega-Whiteside will, will turn the corner in the second season. You know, you heard the interview that he had on that 100 Grandes podcast and kind of the, the pain that he was playing through coupled with, you know, learning the learning the offense as a rookie is never an easy task. But um, so I think he's he should be he should be fine with the second year in the system. You know, you bring an Alshon back after, you know, if you say he does start on PUP, which I think he will you're going to have to kind of integrate him slowly into the offense, but it's kind of hard to take him, take JJ out. If what I'm thinking is if he, if he's going to be playing well and the offense is gelling, I think Alshon will certainly have a role probably as a red zone target, but you know, in a perfect world, the Eagles have JJ and they have Jalen Rager and you have Deshaun as, as your top three guys. All right. Sports Pass live 97, three ESPN. 
Uh, Andrew DeCecco, Football of Four, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Let's take a look at, uh, you know, the one interesting thing, I want to go back to Hightower real fast because uh, he's at Boise State and a guy that uh, was a fifth-round pick now. And then Watkins, uh, I really want to go back to both those guys because Watkins was a guy the Eagles said they would have felt comfortable taking in the fifth round. And I wonder... Um, what was it, you know, that about him that fell to the sixth round? Because you mentioned Hightower and you're excited about him. I'm kind of intrigued by Watkins as when I look around the league and I see these speed guys, these smaller guys, and they get used in such a variety of ways. Like Hightower, you know, I think is a more, I don't want to say polished, but kind of has that wide receiver look about him. Whereas Watkins is kind of becoming like the new look wide receiver. I'm kind of intrigued. Do you think he has a role? I know the other day you didn't have him making the team, but if he does make the team, does he have a role that is an exciting role? Well, I think it could ultimately come down to him versus Marquise Goodwin as oh, far as that six wide, as far as that six wide receiver spot. Um, and I think it'll ultimately go to a good one. Um, the reason why I think Quez Watkins slipped a little bit uh, in the draft is that he's still far from he, – he hasn't quite scratched the surface of what he can be. You know, he's still a little bit of a raw prospect. He ran the third fastest 40 time at the NFL Combine. Um, and so, there, so he does have that downfield element. He needs to get a little bit stronger and a little bit bigger. But I think, you know, being around the program for, for his season, which I, I actually don't know that he makes it to the 53-man roster – but I think, you know, giving him, getting him in the system, um, getting him in the NFL weight training program, and I, I think that he, he can be a uh, prominent piece to the offense moving forward, but I don't necessarily know that he's ready yet um, in 2020. Yeah, and I just I look strictly at that speed element that they talked about. Can you run? Are you healthy? Do you love the game? And he was, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, had the second fastest 40 time. That's why I'm talking about how intrigued I am about using him on jet sweeps and all the stuff that you hear now when I don't want to say gadget players, but when you hear about a receiver who maybe is a little bit raw and needs to just manufacture touches, that that guy intrigues me in that role. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and, and he has uh, he does have some work to do as far as a route runner and, and learning the, the finer nuances of the position, but the, the talent level is there. Like you said, I believe he was the third fastest 40-yard uh, dash uh, at the NFL Combine. Well, there's something to be said for that. Which is which is exactly why you know you hear a lot of excitement when the Eagles got him. Um, but I mean, he do, he does have a little bit of work to do. But like I was saying, I do see him being a a piece of the offense. I just don't necessarily know if he, if he's ready to to be that piece uh, in year one. On the latest inside the birds, I know Adam mentioned Bailey, the wide receiver from Morgan State, who was an undrafted wide receiver. What are your thoughts on him? Do you think he has a possibility of raising some eyebrows? I think so, but it's very crowded the position. The Eagles have actually, you look at Manisa Bailey, and they got him from Morgan State. The Eagles have found, uh, I believe it was Josh Andrews, an offensive lineman who went on drafted a number of years, a few years ago. Ah, we lost uh, Andrew there. I'm interested because you had mentioned, and I think we can get that bite from Adam Kaplan here and uh, kind of play that bite to see exactly uh, what he was talking about. And, uh, you know, there's a situation where at wide receiver, you have, as Andrew was getting into, a very, very deep group of guys. But here's what Adam Kaplan said uh, on the Inside the Birds podcast. I want to give you a sleeper. He won't mm-hmm. make the team because they're just, they're, 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 well, theoretically, he could if they had an <laughs> offseason. But there's a kid named Manasa Bailey from Morgan State who they signed. Uh-huh. They gave uh-huh. some money to. This kid could flat out 
bleeping fly. And he's not small. So he's from Morgan State. They they got some good information on this kid. I, I, I don't quite know how they – I never heard of him. I did a little digging here. This kid could run, and he's not small. Uh-huh. But as you correctly said, this year it's going to be even harder for an undrafted free agent to make it at receiver. But for practice squad possibility – Absolutely. This kid, this kid could flat out run. He's not small. So there you go. Uh, you heard Adam Kaplan there, and you heard what Andrew was saying. And Andrew, he said, I didn't know much about him. See, Andrew's the guy that knows about these guys. Andrew does a lot of the NFL draft preparation for InsideTheBirds.com and covers the Eagles and uh, some other teams around the league before joining us here at 97.3. So he has a lot of insight on guys like that. And as you heard, he's a guy who can flat out fly. Another speed guy, but... Again, it goes back to how many of these guys can make the team. Well, the difference is, though, speed guy with size. Rager, smaller. You know, you're talking about a speed guy that can be bigger than the most average speed guys. Maybe that plays a role. Now, listen, that doesn't mean he's going to step in and just be this stud. But last year, we saw the Eagles have to go into the practice squad route. They had to. So if you have to this year and you have a player like that sitting there, is that way better than the Greg Wards, the Rob Davises of the world? Well, I think it's definitely better um, than, like, Ward served the purpose. He was a guy who caught the ball, moved the chains. The problem was trying to find the guy on the outside that could replace Deshaun Jackson. Like, Ward, you don't have to have a guy. Everybody doesn't have to run 4-2, 4-3, 4 But when you have nobody that can do it, they couldn't find a guy to replace him at that. You know what? They couldn't find anybody to replace what Deshaun Jackson gave them. Now, do you think the Eagles are going way too heavy on just speed and not so much anything else? No, because I think they feel comfortable. I know people say Deshaun Jackson and whether or not he's going to be healthy or not. They're anticipating him being healthy. And if he's not, now we brought in five guys who can do what he does. Whereas last year, if Deshaun Jackson gets hurt, we got nobody that does what he does. Now we have J.J. Ortega-Whiteside, and if he ends up not really working out, well, you know, we have a couple of other guys who do, you know, so they have now kind of made their depth chart more congruent to what they have at the top of the depth chart. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. So we just played, uh, Andrew, the bite that Adam uh, talked about about Bailey on Inside the Birds podcast, and he talked about you know, hey, here's this sleeper guy, uh, you know, but he's a big guy who can run. Uh, and but he said, I don't think he's going to make the team. But it just shows. I think the Eagles did a good job in the off season of stockpiling behind their starters or their anticipated starters, so that like last year when Jackson got hurt, they were ill prepared to fill his role. They had nobody. Now if Jackson gets hurt. They have a bunch of guys that they can plug in who do similar things or have similar skill set. Yeah, and a quick note on um, Manisa Bailey. Um, he, is a, he is a burner, and if you look at where he came from, he came from Morgan State. The Eagles actually have a, a history of – a brief history of finding talent from Morgan State. If you remember a few years ago, they found Josh Andrews, a, uh, an undrafted offensive lineman, he stuck around for a little bit with the Eagles, and then I think he went on to the Minnesota Vikings. But um, that, I, that's a testament to the Eagles scouting department. They always seem to find – there always seems to be at least one or two undrafted players that are in the running to make a roster spot. You look at Nate Herbig last year. You look at some of the guys like Luke Duriga this year. Um, we talked about Elijah Riley. There's a, and, and as I understand, they really like this undrafted class. So I think that uh, that's a testament to the, to the uh, scouting department and bringing in guys that compete – 
can compete for roster spots. Yeah, because last year, like we said, when Deshaun gets hurt, they didn't have anybody. Now if Deshaun gets hurt, all right, we've had a bunch of guys here that are speed guys that can do those kind of things. If J.J. starts and he doesn't play well, all right, we have a couple other guys. Like Greg Ward last year, he caught the ball. That was something that this team really struggled with. He just didn't have the speed. So, okay, you filled a role of catching the ball, but you still didn't fill what Jackson did, and that's why this offense was so limited. But it seems that now they have – a lot of depth. And I want to ask you about Marquise Goodwin and whether or not, I mean, he's, a, you know, another speed guy. Do you think he is a definitive uh, making this team? Well, I had a, I had a conversation with some family that, from, that live out in San Francisco that have season tickets that go to all the Niners games. And I said, what can you tell me about Marquise Goodwin? Obviously, he's got world-class speed, but his biggest issue has been staying on the field. Staying, you know, it's been limiting his production. I believe he only had 10 catches last season. Um so with uh, with Marquise Goodwin, he's very small. He's very small, but he does have that 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 track speed. And and like we were saying, you know, beyond Deshaun Jackson, with Alshon starts the season on PUP, you don't have. There's no veteran presence there. Where, where is where is the veteran wide receiver beyond him? And I think that he almost needs to. He, he got him for nothing, but there, there's enough speed there, and he's been productive enough that I think that that, that kind of warrants a, a, the, the roster spot alone. Yeah, I know that. I think. And that's a shame that we don't have these mini camps because there's so many young guys that would have been a part of this that we would have got some good intel on uh, from yourself and Jeff and Adam that uh, really would have been cool to kind of find out. And, and you wonder what kind of impact some of these guys will have because there's no, especially like the skill position players, because there being no on-field mini camp stuff, the rookie stuff, because the Eagles would have had a rookie camp going on and you would have had John Hightower and Quez Watkins and Bailey and these guys that we're kind of talking about out there right now. Yeah, that's been one of the biggest uh, kind of curveballs thrown into the offseason is, you know, uh, there's a, first of all, there's a lot of very uh, untalented, there's a lot of talented players that didn't get drafted that are still unsigned because normally they would have been rookie minicamp invites, tryout players, but they haven't gotten that opportunity, obviously, because there isn't any. And um, as far as the guys that, that have been signed as undrafted players, well, they're behind the eight ball. They were behind the eight ball anyway, but now essentially it's kind of you know it's kind of highlighted even more so because they don't have, they don't have they need every rep to be able to make to be able to make an impression on the coaching staff, which they're not going to have. And um, you have to temper expectations as far as the rookie wide receivers because there isn't there. This, this is supposed to be they're they're learning you know they're kind of classroom sessions here when they're really kind of getting integrated to the offense, and now they're deprived of that. All right, uh, weekend is here. Of course, uh, Andrew DeCecco, Football at Four, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. Check out those guys over there. And, of course, Andrew, you can read more at 973ESPN.com. Uh, he will be on the Eagles beat all season long. Soon as it opens back up, Andrew will be there covering the team and, of course, a part of Football at Four here on the Sports Bash. Andrew will be back on Tuesday's edition of Football at Four. Thanks, pal. No problem, guys. Have a good weekend. Yeah, man. He, like all guests, appear via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. That's Football at Four, powered by InsideTheBirds.com. I really love the fact that the Eagles wide receiver position is going to be an absolute war. It's like a steel cage match, and the Undertaker takes Mick Foley, Mankind, and throws him off the top of the cage, and he goes through the announcer's table, and here he comes. He's getting wheeled out in a stretcher. And then he comes back. He climbs to the top of the cage again. He says, I'm still in the wide receiver race. And then what does Undertaker do? He slams him through the top of the cage, and he goes falling from 20 feet down. And the best will stick around. No.
That's how I see it. No. Well, how would you describe it then? It's going to be a battle. That's a battle right there. You get thrown <laughs> off the top of the cage and go through the announcer's table, baby. Mike Gill yeah, gave you, might... you this entire build-up, Hunter, and you said no. Like, you're, what you're... kind of response is that? Yeah. The dude gave you so much juice, and you gave him nothing in return. Nothing. That's I mean, because I, I thought you were being irrational. I started Happy Hour Friday. You should join me. Well, I'm drinking Millers. You're drinking IPAs. You know what I mean? Ooh, baby. Happy Hour Friday on the Sports Bash. Todd Rank in one hour. Also, the MCPT Top 5 at 5. It's our Top 5 slices of pizza in the area 609-403-0973 where's the best slice of pizza in the area direct us to them now because our five we need a little depth here remember we're atlanta county guys i gotta spread out a little bit i gotta find a better slice of pizza and we gotta help Rose out too he knows no pizzas down in this area there's a lot of good choices that's coming up tonight in the mgpt top five at five top five pizza in the area, 609-403-0973. Sports Bash. And sports Radio Talk Show. The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, bottom of the hour. One hour from now, Happy Hour Friday. We've got uh, Todd Rank joining us uh, for the Happy Hour Friday edition. Getting you ready for what should be a beautiful weekend. It's 83 degrees. You know, so my car right now, one side of my air conditioning's working, which is the passenger side, and the other side, the driver's side's pumping hot air out at me. Now, does it still smell? Now, nah, the, the smell has dissipated. Back There's always normal. something with this car, though. It's an older car. I mean, I got it in 2012. I mean, it's 2020 now. It's eight years old, this car. Well, I don't blame you for that. You drive five minutes to work. We already did the math. How, how deep into the book are you? Ten I minutes? Start it. I didn't start it yet. <laughs> uh, by the way, uh, the MGPT Top 5 at 5 tonight It is our five favorite pizza places Place to get a slice in the area We're looking for your help 609-403-0973 609-403-0973 Best place to get a slice Maybe not even a slice Maybe a whole pie Because some places they don't sell slices They only sell the whole pie how about the 99-cent places on the boardwalk? Are we anti? The 99-cent slice? Yeah. Isn't that a thing? I don't know. You guys are the Jersey Shore people. I've never seen a slice of pizza for 99 cents on the boardwalk. No? I mean, it's typically a... Uh, I mean, Josh has got his finger waving. You, you got... You struck a nerve. Those slices up there are expensive. I mean, you, it's like the size... It's like, a, it's like the cost of a full pie to get one slice up there. So, what I think Hunter is Again, mixing first up... Off, can you imagine the last time Josh was actually on the boardwalk to be able to ever even like contribute to this conversation? Last summer, I, I call BS. <laughs> what I like the Ocean City Boardwalk. What can I say, uh, Hunter? I think you're confusing the late night pizza with the daytime pizza because traditionally on the Ocean City Boardwalk, if you are there like around like eleven thirty, twelve, twelve thirty at night, the pizza places start calling out. Yeah. 50 cents a slice, That's come right. get as much as you want because they got to clear out their inventory. He's right about that. When it starts to get a little late, they'll, they'll, they'll do like the old, hey, you want this? It's a dollar. We need to get it out of here. Well, that's awesome, but I thought, I'm thinking more of when you're on the beach, there's those places on the board where you get a slice for 99 cents. 
Yeah, you're at the wrong beach, dude. Well, I don't know. I've, I've never been to these places. I just walked by them. They don't exist. Those slices up on that boardwalk are pretty exciting. I think you're misreading the sign, Hunter. Yeah, this isn't the 99-cent store. I'm going to do some research, and I'll get back to you. Hashtag Ask Mike and Broads. Use the hashtag Ask Mike and Broads each day at 430. We will answer your questions. Anything you'd like. Fire away. We will start off with Dylan Bradley. He asks, if the NHL starts back up, do you think all the momentum for the Flyers has been killed? Or do you think that there is some magic left to make a deep playoff run? You know, that's interesting because every team has gone through the same thing. But the Flyers seemingly were playing really, really well. Like, they were a team that seemed to exceed expectations. So, when this thing stopped, they were one of the hottest teams, if not the hottest team in the league. I would think some of that momentum would be halted. Wouldn't you? I would think yes. But we talked about how... All you got to be in hockey is hot at the right time. And they are clearly in a playoff position. So who's to say that they can't be the team that's hot at the right time? They could, but I mean, did they miss it? Did they miss that that opportunity when they hit the pause button? Well, people were questioning that prior to this all happening. Are they getting too hot too early to begin with before the pandemic? So that was a concern prior to this, you know, in the beginning. Yeah, I agree. Like... Well, I agree that they were playing really well. I just don't know that they're going to come right back and hit that level again. And if they do, I mean, I I think that really tells us that they were for real. I think they are for real, though. We're looking at a window where, and I guess I'll talk about this and relate it to the Sixers. So we knew when the Sixers kind of turned the switch and then began to be more of a serious team. That year, they won 28 games, I think. But after that, it was that one season that was fun that you were talking about, and it, it was enjoyable. Regular season mattered. You sat down every night to watch them. That's sort of the start right here with the Flyers. They are starting to become that. Now, hopefully, they don't get to the point where the expectations are so high that we are disappointed in a second-round playoff run because before the season started, we expected a cup. I don't think we had any expectations for this team, right? We weren't even sure if they were a playoff team. Yeah, for this year. But I'm saying if this starts to be where the Sixers are, eventually we will look at them like Washington Capitals fans. Look at the Capitals. It's a Stanley Cup year. Let me ask you this. Because of us missing sports so much, if the Flyers come back, will there then be unattainable expectations because of them sitting out? And what we remember most recently was they were really good. So you think the fans will be so harsh on that harsh on them because the last time we all saw them play, they were playing at a high level? Yeah. I think that's unfair though, no? I would agree, but I'm just asking, do you think that they're gonna come back with unattainable expectations? Here's the funny thing. I don't think they will, but if it's the Sixers, they will. So it's because it's the Flyers where maybe the majority of the fan base isn't as invested. And they use it as an excuse where, listen, I mean, they had a break. It's not their fault. But they would not use that excuse if it was the Sixers. No, the Sixers are a winner else. Is that fair? Of course not. It's irrational. It's ridiculous. That's interesting, though. I mean, I don't know if because it's more of a, hey, man, the Flyers were doing great. That was a fun watch. The Sixers, it's a different mentality. The Sixers would be win or else if this team had a bunch of guys in their 30s. And this was like the last ride. You know, 
I think, um, was it Brett Brown or Ben Golliver today who said something about, like, how many, you know, that, you know, they're talking about how, uh, I think it was Golliver, actually, who talked about how back then, you know, you would watch these teams and they would play each other in the playoffs like five years in a row. Like the Knicks teams would just keep building and building and just adding a piece and adding a piece from what they lost the year before. And you don't see that anymore. Like these teams, the star player doesn't like what happens and he takes his ball and goes home to another team instead of like sticking it out. And then you just keep adding and adding and you go on this climb. I feel like the Sixers are at least with their two star players are going on this climb together with those two guys. I would agree. I think they are doing that. And it seems like right now that team for the Sixers is the Boston Celtics. But even the Celtics have, you know, ditched Kyrie, their star, and went with a different, you know, um, I don't want to say star because Tatum has kind of taken over that role, but they brought in Kemba Walker. Right. It's not as if the Celtics are the Bulls where – the Sixers can't get through the eventual champions. But they're going up against the Celtics, and they're competing head-to-head, it seems, every year. It's almost as if Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are going through the same thing that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are going through, yeah. and we're on the same exact course almost. I-, I just like I just like the climb that the Sixers are on and that they should have a lot of chances at this with this core group of guys. Instead of having irrational thoughts about, they got to win now. Enjoy the fact that they're going to get five, six, seven. That was the whole point of this, was that you were constantly, you know, people think the process was about winning multiple championships immediately. No, it was to get the fan base re-engaged, re-passionate, and then to give the team as many realistic opportunities to win the championship as possible. It doesn't mean you're going to win it every year, but that you enter the season believing that they are one of the teams that can win a title. It's about being competitive and not just average competitive. It's do you have an organization or is your franchise in a position where you are competing to be in the conversation of a championship, not so much winning the championship because that's unfair. Right. It, it really is. If it's, they it's unfair. It's about competing finals, for it. If they make the finals four times over the 10-year span that these guys are here together and they win one, are you okay with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would, I now, would. don't get me wrong. That doesn't mean I'm ups- I, I, I'm still going to be upset about maybe a certain NBA final in a certain year. For example, when... When LeBron lost to the Dallas Mavericks, when you look at it from afar, obviously they had success and won championships, but you can still be upset about that loss to the Mavericks. That Mm -hmm. doesn't mean I won't be upset about what possibly could have been, but when you take a few steps back, it's very similar to Donovan McNabb and Andy Reid. Because they didn't get the job done, it was not successful. But if you look at it, it was somewhat a successful part of the Eagles franchise. No doubt. Did you watch any of the 4th and 26th game was on NFL Network last night? I did not. I didn't even know it was on and you texted me. That's because you didn't watch WrestleMania 3 the night before. If you would have watched WrestleMania 3, you would have saw the promo promo for the 4th and 26th game. And I watched some of that game last night and you forget how great Donovan McNabb was that game. He was, he was unbelievable in that game. See the 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 disconnect is the personality. I feel 
People don't love Donovan McNabb for who he is as a person and the connection with the city. Now, I'll be honest. I'm not a big Donovan McNabb fan from that perspective. I don't like him from the media member perspective. I never really felt that connection. But then again, during his prime, I was younger and I didn't engage the same way like I do now. But from a pure athlete standpoint, he gets so disrespected. People just didn't like him. They thought he was kind of aloof. They thought he was not like, you know, he got criticized for playing the air guitar the one game as if that had anything to do with the Eagles getting their butts kicked on that particular day. Um, Oh, by the way, he never had any weapons other than the year he had Terrell Owens. What happened that year? They went to the Super Bowl. You know, he he was so, I don't want to say misunderstood. He was a loofy. He was kind of like an oddball from some extent. But you watch that game last night. He was he was on another level. He made plays that were just unbelievable. He really used his legs, too. I mean, it was special. Well, that was early McNabb when he still had that ability to use his legs and to kind of do stuff like that. He After the ACL, he couldn't really do as much. And I don't know. I mean, he wasn't the most accurate passer. I'm not going to sit there and say people, you know, he was not an accurate guy at all times. But what he was in, was a playmaker. He was basically like, look, we're not giving you any, we're not giving you any playmakers. You go out and make the plays yourself. Absolutely, and I want to touch on the whole personality part of it because Carson Wentz, he's a good person. Obviously, he's a good person, got a good heart. I think he's a high character guy, but he's not cool either. Donovan McNabb wasn't cool. Carson Wentz is not cool. Drew Brees, he's a cool dude. Now Tom Brady isn't, but does that mean? Anything when it comes to the quarterback position? Do you think that there's value in being a cool guy when it comes to relating to the city? And not only just relating to the city, but with the teammates as well. Personally, for me, do I care? No, I don't care. Like, But I always say in this in this area, we, the fans, not, not me, the fans of this area choose personality over performance. We hate, we don't like Andy Reid. We love Buddy Ryan. Buddy Ryan never won anything. Andy Reid constantly made the playoffs and took this team far to NFC Championship games. But because he never won the Super Bowl, he stinks. And Buddy Ryan's great. Why? Because Buddy Ryan said he was going to kick Jimmy Johnson's butt and stick his fat butt down back there. And, you know, we like the bravado of the personality over the performance, which is completely ass backwards. It's about work ethic here. You can be the hardest working guy in the world and not be very good. But if you have a guy who is so talented, but he comes off cocky and he doesn't work hard all the time, and maybe he jogs the first base here and there, this city doesn't want anything to do with the guy. I don't get it. I mean, it's like we love Aaron Rowan because he crashed into the wall. He stinks. He he couldn't play. He was not very good. But he crashed (laughs) into the wall. So, hey. I'm out yeah, on that. I just I find it interesting though when it comes to the quarterback position and we talk about personality and, and cool and, and things like that. How does that relate to the city and to the team? But you know, hey, listen, I like Carson Wentz and I'm excited for him to be here. I don't care if he's cool or not cool. Nick Foles wasn't cool either. And he won a Super Bowl and he's loved. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Guess what? All Joe right. Flacco's not cool. He won a Super Bowl. Tom Brady's definitely not cool. He kisses his kids on the mouth.
Anyway, <laughs> we're going to move on here. We'll keep it with Flyers. And this is interesting. It's a little out there, but it's interesting. What do you think could have happened if the Flyers did not trade Patrick Sharp? Now, here's some background. In 2005, Patrick Sharp was traded for Ellison, who played seven games. Sharp went on to play 939 games in 15 seasons with 620 points. And what I'll say with this is, because the Flyers made the cup run in 2010, I would say that that could have been a huge help to winning a Stanley Cup. Without that Stanley Cup run, I would say I have no clue. But because they made it to the Cup Finals, I can say what could have been maybe a Stanley Cup. By holding on to Patrick Sharp? Why not? It clearly would have helped. It's like, is he like the Justin Williams? Like you you trade Justin Williams and whatever team that team ends up winning a cup? To that level. Maybe not to that degree exactly. But yeah, I mean, you traded a player who is so respect A thousand game guy, essentially. I mean, yeah, he's a steady guy, steady any kind of player, right? Like that seems to be the player that is always on a team that wins a Stanley Cup. That kind of guy that isn't, you know, like the Matthew Barnaby type of guy who's a pain in the ass, but a little not the same, but you know what I'm saying? Like a guy who's just, uh, you know, the constant for you. You know, there's been a lot of guys that the Flyers see, like Justin Williams is the first one that pops into my mind that they got rid of, and he has seemed like gone everywhere and ended up on teams that win championship. But I don't know that trading Sharp was the difference in them over the last couple of years. I'll tell you what the problem was. They haven't had a goalie. You're right. They made that Stanley Cup run with Michael Layton. But you know what cracks me up? Imagine someone saying, and this is no disrespect, I love it, but my mind doesn't work this way. Someone says, Gil, ask me anything. Ask me anything. And your mind comes up with, what would have happened if the Flyers never traded Patrick Sharp? Right? right? I mean, I love it. Uh, hashtag Ask Mike and Broads. We'll do it again on Monday. There's a special promotion going on right now at Play Sugar House Online Casino. It's the Cash Machine Spectacular. Over the next 10 days, PlaySugarHouse.com will give away $1,000 at random each day to players that play one of three featured slot games from every, including the Red Hot Cash Machine slot. Visit PlaySugarHouse.com for full details and play some fun slots this weekend. Have fun and please bet within your limits. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. It's the Sports Bash Live. It's a happy hour Friday. Todd Rankle join us at 5.30. The MGPT Top 5 at 5. Your 5. Happy hour Friday, baby. Todd Rank at 5.30. We got the uh, MGPT Top 5 at 5 coming up on the other side in nine minutes. Our five favorite places to get a slice of pizza or just a pizza in general because some places don't sell by the slice. You can only get a full pie at some of these places. So we're taking your text messages at 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Best place to get a slice of pizza. Where's your go-to spot for pizza in the area? 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Mike and Bros at Bros81. Where's that wristwatch poll at right now? It's a great question. It's definitely in favor of not wearing the watch. So 21.5% of people wear a watch. 785 do not. That's what I thought. We so, also have an update on the Bryce Harper poll as well. Okay. Um, yeah, let's do that now because at 530, we got happy hour Fridays with Todd Rank. So 
we won't be able to dive back into the poll question like we normally will at 5.30. So, Bryce does Harper. Bryce, does Bryce Harper's comments bother you? 75% say no, players should fight. 25% yes, get on the field. Interesting. Um, I thought more people would be mad at Bryce Harper. Uh, you know what? I saw the clip. I heard the clip, and it was very, I'm not going to say nonchalant, but he was obviously just hanging out with his friend, playing video games, and it came out very naturally. It wasn't as if he was rah-rah about it. It was so calm and just pretty much saying, he's not lying, he's speaking the truth, and just continuing to play Fortnite. Yeah, and it was like, he's not lying, he's speaking the truth. Somebody had to said it, say it, but it wasn't me. <laughs> like that was the it way. Was, it was so just calm, I feel, to the point where, sure, he said it, and Bryce Harper respects that and might lean that way, but it wasn't as if he was coming out and claiming the same type of statements as Snell did. Yeah. No, you're There's right. There's some comments, though. People are, you know, this is the one I, I don't know if I love that much. It's millionaires versus billionaires. I could really care less about it. Let's get them back. You know, it's like, oh, you know, these millionaires, they're just fighting as if, you know, that, that doesn't mean anything. Well, we knew that this was going to mean a lot before we even talked about them coming back. We said, well, wait until the contract talks start happening. It's just tough when there's so many people out there that are not working or their money has been cut in half or furloughed during this time. And they're like, well, I'm not, I, I if, 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 if Snell would have just said the risk is too great, I'm not playing. But he said, I'm not taking a pay cut to play. I think both sides are being extreme to, to their corners. And we knew that was going to happen, but I, I can't comprehend how Knowing that this is the scenario, knowing what's going on in the world, how do they not just all sit together? The top people that need to be involved in this conversation don't go to one place or maybe it's even a Zoom call. I don't know. But they claim we will not leave this call or we will not leave this office until we settle on something so we know how to operate moving forward. I Let's would, stop beating around the bush. I would think they have a boardroom big enough that they could sit at different ends of the table. I would think so, too. But now we're factoring travel. What if people are in different states? Yeah, I guess so. That's true. Good point. But if they're in the same city, like if they're all in New York. Although Manford last night, did you didn't see the interview with Manford. But, man, for a guy who makes as much money as Manford did, he had the worst couch of all time. He had a flower-printed couch in his background. It was a white couch with, like, pinkish roses as the prince on the couch like that yeah, but couch... that screams his age did it have plastic on it no that couch 1973 called and said yo i want my couch back and manford was like no way i'm like dude you're the commissioner of baseball you did an interview on television with that couch in the background 